Uh, we should always come to texts like these with a little bit of oof, like a little bit of fear and trembling, especially when we're talking about authorities, especially when we're talking about anything that can just kind of weigh us down or burden us. This text has something to say to politics. It has something to say to any kind of authority that we live under. So to, Paul wrote this to a group of people at a church in Rome living under one of the most violent, oppressive regimes the world has ever seen. The grandeur of the Roman Empire was only possible through blood. Through, through sacrifices, through paganism, through war. So he's telling them, look, look at these authorities. You see the problem here. What about us? You may have challenges that you face when you think of our current political moment, right? Regardless of where you might identify yourself. What about other kinds of authorities? Anybody ever had a bad boss? Is it hard to roll up to the authority of a bad boss? Absolutely. But you still got to roll up. What, what does it mean to be faithful when you got a bad boss? What does it mean when you land in a culture and you go, this is weird and I don't get it? How do you honor the culture that God has placed you in without accommodating it, without saying, oh yeah, it's fine and good, whatever? Our family experienced this when we arrived here about four years ago. We, uh, my wife and I had lived in the Tacoma, Gig Harbor area for a couple years. We moved away to Colorado, and then we came back to Kirkland We'd never lived in King County, never lived really in Seattle proper. Tacoma is very quick to sort of delineate itself from the Seattle area. And we heard about this mystical thing called the Seattle Freeze. Has anyone experienced the Seattle Freeze? We certainly did. And that's not a knock on any of you who so faithfully welcomed us and brought us into your homes for meals. I'm looking at so many of you that were so amazing at helping us feel welcome. You, you broke through that Seattle Freeze. It was not going to get us. But every day, I was reminded of this in my neighborhood. We were renting this little house in South Kirkland, uh, actually a neighborhood that uh, we grew to love a lot. But when we got there, nobody talked to each other. Like we had a community mailbox. Anybody have one of these mailboxes? We're all there, they're all next to each other. And you might be standing there right next to the person who's turning the key and opening it, and they're not even looking at you. And you're like, what, what, what's going on here? I did not talk to one of my neighbors, no kidding, this young man who rented this house with a bunch of other young men, so you can kind of picture what this looked like, a little bit like Animal House. I did not talk to one of these young men until a tree fell on the new Porsche he had just bought in his driveway. You got to go commiserate about the Porsche, right? Like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry, you know? It landed right on this new Porsche that he got, so of course you got to go talk to him. The Seattle freeze was real for us. Is that a cultural norm that we should have just said, okay, whatever? No, because our calling is not to be a people that sort of accommodate every single whim of culture. Paul warns about this all throughout the letter to the Romans. This church sat in the middle, in the seat of power, in this incredible empire that was doing amazing things, right? Building aqueducts and roads, civilizing the whole world at an incredible cost and to a degradation of humanity that had never been seen before. The church, Paul's telling them, is not supposed to roll up to that standard. We don't accommodate that. We don't bless that. But he calls us to something different. He calls us to be a people who honor the place God has called us to. So as we go through the text today, I want us to kind of think about two things together. It is deeply impactful to our communities to love others. Yes, and we're going to talk about how to do that. Because to understand how to relate to government and other authorities, you've got to start small. So we're going to start small to go big. Can you say that with me? Start small to go big. We've got to look at uh, chapter 12, where it talks about how we're called to relate to one another. 
then we can go big to how do we relate to government? How do you relate to your tyrannical boss? How do you relate to a company that is increasingly draconian in the way that it treats people? How do you relate to your schools, these bigger institutions? The only way we can learn how to relate well is by starting small. I think that's one of the things the text really wants us to pay attention to today. So you've got an outline in your bulletin. It goes like this. Start with love. You can see it there. Surrender. And then free from fear. That's what we're getting to today, guys. This is what I'm excited about for this text. This text has helped me step into greater freedom from fear, and I hope it will for each of us. So the first section we're going to talk about today, start with love. I'm going to give you kind of a little summary statement of what each of these things means. Don't worry, I'll say it multiple times. If you don't write it down the first time, that's okay. Start with love. Here's what I mean by that. And we're going to see this in the text. Love must be genuine, then it's good. Love must be genuine, and then it is good. We're going to read from Romans 12. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. We need to read what's going on in the wider view of Scripture to understand this tricky text in Romans 13. So go with me to Romans 12. Last week we learned about spiritual gifts in Romans 12. We learned about all the different ways that a community is called to use these gifts, to bless each other, to further God's mission in the world. Now we're going to talk about 12 verses 9 through 13. These should be up on the screen. You're welcome to follow along. Paul writes to the church in Rome, let love be what church? Genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Remember, we're going small before we can go big. So to go small here makes us think, how are we treating our neighbors? Jesus lifted this up as one of his highest teachings. Everything else in your life can kind of be measured by these two things. How are you doing at loving God and how are you doing at loving your neighbors? Those are always gut checks for people who follow Jesus Christ. Paul is continuing that message for the people here in Rome, saying to them, let love be genuine. Okay, what does that mean? He connects it very quickly to this concept of honor. He says this in verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. What does it mean to honor something? How many of you have lived abroad, like in a, a shame and honor culture, the, the Far East, Asia? So you know a little bit about this. In Western culture, we don't really have this shame and honor dynamic, but it is prevalent all around the world. And we could talk all morning about it, but I'm going to oversimplify it by saying this. In a shame and honor culture, like what existed at the time of Jesus, your biggest joy, the thing that brings you the most joy in your heart, is to honor somebody to treat them with respect, especially someone older than you, wiser than you. You showed honor to someone, and you were filled up in a way that really was just incredible. Similarly, in a shame and honor culture, you are never as low and as torn down as when you are shamed. And we know a little bit about that in Western culture. We know about what it means to be shamed. Biggest blow in this day would have been to be shamed and rejected. So can you imagine what it was like for these followers of Jesus in the city of Rome to look around at their context and hear Paul say to them, honor the culture around you. Honor the culture around you? Honor the gladiator games? Honor the way that people were slaughtered in arenas and lions were set upon them? Honor that? Honor the pagan religions that sacrificed human beings to false gods? 
honor the generals that conquered every territory they could find, honor the abandonment of the sick and the elderly and widows and orphans, honor that? What? How? How do we do that? The key is, in the Christian framework, honor works because we never flip it and put our fidelity to Christ before it. Being faithful to Christ, understanding the convictions that Christ gives us in the scriptures and in his revelation and in community, that never takes the first seed over honor. What must have been challenging for the Roman church is no less challenging for our church. Honor doesn't mean we agree with gladiator games. It means we're in dialogue with people who do, and we say, I hear you. I may not agree with it, but I hear you. I may not want to support this. I'm going to choose not to go to the gladiator games. But my friends and the people that do believe in this, I'm still going to be friends with them. I'm still going to sit with them. I'm not going to break fellowship with them. In the text, honor means to regard carefully, to handle gently, to show that something matters to you by how you treat it. Have you ever had someone give you a really precious heirloom? or a, a gift, or an antique that isn't like Antiques Roadshow that's like really valuable. My father-in-law went on a road trip uh, this past summer out to where he grew up uh, in the Chicago area, and he came back with his car all crammed full of things that his mother and other people had given to him. And one of the things that was given to him, he really wanted to show me. He told me about this, called me on the phone to tell me about it. And so I went to his house, and I looked at it with him, and it was a piece of artwork. And it was really interesting. It was like a family tree, and it was almost like, has anyone seen the Gutenberg Bible, the illuminated manuscripts? You know what I'm talking about? Beautifully uh, designed and just a really special thing for his family, right? So this artistic representation of his family. I was really tired that day. I don't remember feeling very good, and so when I'm showing up at his house and he wants to show this thing to me, I'm going can I do anything else right now? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll wash your floors rather than listen to this. Like, come on. But what was the conviction? And I'm not saying I did this perfectly. Ask Jill. There was plenty of grumbling and complaining later on. I wanted to honor my father-in-law. And I wanted to honor the thing that he held as precious, this, 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 this drawing, this artwork. Imagine if I just said, come on, man, I don't have time for that. Let's go watch Sports Center. Like, enough. He would have been crushed because this was a thing of value to him. I wanted to hold it preciously with him, to recognize that there was something precious about this thing to him that I had never seen before, but that he was so jazzed about and so wanted to share it with me. That's, I think, one way that we can look at honoring the culture around us. There may be things we disagree with. There may be things we don't like. We may not feel great about it. But if it does not break our Christian conviction, if it does not call us to do things that are terrible in the sight of Christ then we can honor that. We can step into that. We're going to talk about Deut- or, uh, Daniel 3 in a little while. It gives us a great example of how to do this. The key to honor is you don't break the values and convictions that Christ has given to you. You don't do it. But you sit with those who may or may not uphold those values, and you hold as precious the things that they value. A church will transform its community when people outside of the church recognize, look, I'm not going to be judged there. I'm going to be loved. Those people are going to honor me. They're going to honor the things that I find is valuable, even if they disagree with me. When we honor others, we step into love that is, as Paul says, genuine and therefore good. That's our thesis for this part. Love must be genuine, then it's truly good. Honor is the key to that. Friends, how can you honor someone that you love this week? How can you honor a coworker? Maybe you got a coworker. We all have coworkers like this that are just into something quirky. 
you know, they're into some obscure extreme sport, they're into some video game, they're into something, this, that, or the other, and you could care less about that. But to honor that person and to get to know them and to show them the grace of Christ in your presence, you just sit with them and you let them tell you about this thing and you hold it as precious, the thing that they're describing to you. That is a way for us to step into the lives of our friends and neighbors, even better when it's something that we love. I just found out this week that one of my neighbors roasts coffee for a coffee roaster that we love a lot. I didn't even know what this guy did. I just would see huge piles of recycle boxes out in front of his house on trash day, and I'm like, I wonder what he does for work. I don't even know. Our kids go to the same school. We walk by each other, and I start talking to him. I'm like, you roast coffee? I love coffee. I want to learn about how you do this. I want to, that's easy for me to honor, Right? Maybe that's presenting itself to you this week. Find things to honor in the people that you're connected to. That quirky coworker, that neighbor that you can't figure out. Find something that is worthy of honor in them. Know that when you do that, you are showing them the presence of Christ. You are showing the face of Christ to them. That's part one. Part two, oh, well, let's go over part one real quick. Love must be genuine, then it's truly good. Part two, This is surrender in your outline, and the way we're going to explain surrender is this. To practice good love, start with surrender daily. Let's continue to go through the text. I'm going to skip us ahead to verse 13. I hate skipping, or excuse me, the beginning of chapter 13. I hate skipping uh, 14 through 21. Um, It's just so good, but we may come back to it next week. So let's read 13, 1 through 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Here's the big idea. This is what helps me make sense of this text, and may it be helpful to you as well. When we submit first to the authority of God, we can find our way through authorities that we may or may not agree with. When we submit, when we say, God, you are first and foremost, first chair, thou and thou only, first in my heart. When that is the ordering of our allegiance, when we say, you know what? The government can do what it wants to do. The people around me can do stuff. My my, uh, company can teach different things. That's fine. My allegiance, my fidelity is first and foremost to God. When he takes that first spot, Everything else can kind of filter out in a way that makes more sense to us, that creates less anxiety and gives us more peace as we engage our culture. That word to submit to, to be subject to, it's right there in the beginning of the text. That's the one that we all hate, right? Like, who likes to submit? Who likes to surrender? Come on. We're not as familiar with that because we don't live in a monarchy, so we're not subjects of anyone. But I want us to think about things that we are subject to. You are subject to the laws of the state of Washington, the laws of the United States. If you are employed, you have a contract with your employer. You have an employment agreement. You are subject to that. There are terms and conditions in there that you need to abide by. If you are part of an HOA, you've probably got a really goofy agreement there, but that's what it is. Anything you've agreed to financially, you are subject to those terms and conditions. If you have a car payment... You are subject to your car payment. If you have cable, you are subject to paying your cable company. These are things that exist every day that we are subject to. I'm, by the grace of God, married to a wonderful woman. I am subject to my wedding vows. I am subject to the promises that I made almost 10 and a half years ago to my wife. 
I don't want to break out of those promises. That is a way that being subject to something is good for us. And if you're a Christ follower, you're subject to the one who went to the cross and who has risen from the dead for you. That is where we are subject. What's our big idea? Our big idea is that we submit first to God as our ultimate authority, and everything else can trickle down after that. How does this land in my life? What do I need to know to make this work? Start with surrender, church. If you're like me, you may struggle with anxiety from time to time. I've had uh, panic attacks. I've struggled with depression. These have all been parts of my journey. And God is working in me and surrounding me with people who are kind of helping me through all of this. What happens when I am subject to those things is so difficult. And so many of us can relate to this. Because it's about fear. Because I'm afraid. I might be afraid of failing at work or failing as a father or failing as a bunch of other things, if I get down under that fear, I'm actually just afraid of looking bad. I'm afraid of how people might perceive me. I need to surrender that daily. Otherwise, I'm in big trouble. What does that look like for me? It is this simple, you guys. You want to take a practical step right after we're done here or starting on Monday morning. For me, I sit down with my journal, and I literally write out by hand, Jesus, today is your day. I surrender to you. It's yours. It's not mine. You gave it to me as a gift. Writing in my journal, it just makes more sense to me to do it that way. This is your day. You deserve to sit on the throne of my heart. Start with surrender. Write that down. Start with surrender, church. Whatever it looks like for you. You don't have to write stuff out. That's just my quirky way of doing this. Maybe you have a post-it note on your bathroom mirror that just says, start with surrender. Surrender. Surrender that stress. Surrender that pain. Surrender the thing that kept you up last night. Surrender your fear and your worry about your future, about your kids, about the economy, about your family. This is before email, before Facebook, before newspaper, before anything except coffee. That's how it starts in my day. What about you? What's the first thing you do? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing? You roll out of bed, you put your slippers on, you go in the kitchen. What's the first thing? What if the first thing looked like surrender? I would recommend doing this uniquely. I don't think you can surrender and multitask. Like, I don't know that this works on your commute. But it's just a pause. It's just a presence to just say, Jesus, I'm going to put a whole bunch of other things in the driver's seat before you. It might be my anxieties. It might be my fears about the future. But I'm going to choose right now to surrender and say, this is your throne. You sit on this seat, not me. And the throne is the seat in my heart where everything else comes out. So church, surrender. Surrender daily. Surrender in a way that makes sense to you, however you can get at that. And I can't fully explain it. I don't know how this works. I don't have to know. But it is so freeing. It brings so much freedom to surrender. Paul actually warns about this later in verse 2. Those who resist this kind of version of surrender will incur judgment. You know what I think that means? I think that means that we know when we don't surrender and we struggle. That it creates cycles for us and patterns where we just get hung up, where we get discouraged, where we get anxious, whatever it is that we may face. It hurts you and it hurts the community that you are called to serve, church, if we fail to surrender. So make that your priority this week. Starting with surrender works. I can't explain it. I'm just telling you, it works. Give it a try. So part one, love must be genuine, then it's truly good. 
part two, to practice this kind of love, this good love, this honoring love, it starts with surrender, and I would say it needs to start with that daily and all throughout your day. And finally, part three, genuine good love frees us from fear. Good love frees you, it frees me from fear. Paul brings this up kind of in this rhetorical question in verse uh, 3 of chapter 13. So listen to this. I'm going to read 13, 3, and the first part of 4 for us. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Here it is. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive its approval, for it is God's servant for your good. Church, listen to this. Do you wish to have no fear of the authority? Do you wish to have no fear of fill-in-the-blank? Paul's writing this to a group of people in Rome who are dealing with the authority of a government that was oppressive and violent. We don't quite have that same experience here in the United States. At least most of us don't. So fill-in-the-blank. Do you want to have fear? Do you want to be free from what? What does your fear look like, church? What do we live in fear of? Let's just do, do this exercise with me for just a moment. I did this this week. I wouldn't put this on you guys if I hadn't done it myself. We're going to do a fear inventory. Are you ready? And you are not going to have to share this with anybody. You can write this down. You can pretend like you're texting and writing it in your phone. I don't care. I want you to write down one or two or three things that cause you to be afraid. That's it. I, you are not sharing this with anyone. One or two things, maybe even three, that cause you to be afraid. Write them down. I mentioned earlier that a big fear for me is just fearing failure at work or at home, giving a talk that's no good, leading a meeting that stinks, blowing it with one of my kids, giving my wife the cold shoulder. Those are things that I fear. But here's where I want to challenge us. So we're going to pause and have some silence for this as well. Go deeper. What is underneath that fear you just wrote down? Because a moment ago, I told you that the fear underneath my fears is I don't want to look foolish. And even deeper than that, I don't want to be rejected. As somebody who was bullied as a kid, who really has kind of drugged that with me, has a woundedness from that, I am afraid of being rejected. That's like what's deep down under a lot of my fears. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Go down one level. Take it one level deeper in the silence and ask, what is really under my fear? What is my fear of my boss really about? What's my fear at work really about? Take a moment and hold that out to God. Take a deep breath. Okay. Nothing you wrote down is Jesus going to look at and go, wow, I had no idea. It's good for you to share that with him, and he knows it. He went to the cross to free us from fear. There ain't nothing that you wrote down that will surprise him ever. Bring those fears to him, friends. Bring it to someone you can trust. Bring it to a mentor. Share it as you feel appropriate and wise. I wouldn't post it on social media. 
The text tells us that what aligns with God's heart, what brings glory and honor to him, is when we live free from fear. And Paul longed for this for the people of the Roman church, and he knew it wouldn't happen overnight, but he had examples. He had proof from the scriptures of people who could live free from fear and honor a pagan culture and live into the calling that God gave to them. And this is where we turn to Daniel chapter 3. And if you don't have something to read devotionally this week, I would just encourage you to read this. Kate read one of the prayers from Daniel for us a moment ago. This is the story of the three coolest names in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The people of Israel were living under the oppressive rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. People didn't like living under this guy's rule. They didn't want to, but there they were. Daniel the prophet actually led Nebuchadnezzar into a place where he experienced faith. And then, of course, because he's a human being and he's like so many of us, it goes right back into idol worship, right back into his pagan ways. And then Nebuchadnezzar gets this idea. He tells the people of Israel who are under his rule to drop down and worship a pagan idol whenever they hear a trumpet call. Whenever they hear this sound, they're supposed to drop down and worship a golden idol just like that. And Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego get word of this. They are leading the people of Israel in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar's rule. He gave them that job to lead their people. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. And as is often the case in civil disobedience, they get ratted out. Somebody tells Nebuchadnezzar, hey, these guys aren't listening to what you're doing. And so they're brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And this is where the text comes in for us. This is Daniel 3, 16 through 18. They're called to the principal's office. Nebuchadnezzar is about to read them the riot act or kill them. And instead, these faithful servants of the one true God, they say this. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar tells them, you better worship me or else. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. Isn't that a great line? Yeah, you got us. We have no need to present a defense to you. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, that's where they were going to go. He's going to throw them in there. And out of your hand, O king, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. You want to live without fear? You look at what these guys did. You look at them facing death in the face and saying, yeah, you got us. We're going to be faithful. We're going to choose to honor God. Interestingly enough, if you read further back in the text, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's not actually their names. Those are the names that they were given by the state that they live under. Those were pagan names. Those are not their Israelite names. They had already chosen to honor the culture that they were a part of by even receiving those names, by even saying like, yeah, sure, we'll play by your rules. We're still going to worship God. We're still going to be faithful to Yahweh. And we will die in the freedom that we have with Yahweh before we cave to the false freedom that you offer us, King. How about that? How about that, friends, for anybody that struggles with courage, anybody that wants to stand up and stand up tall and proud this week? Look to these guys as your example. What happens next? They get chucked in the fire. Still going in. But it's a miracle. There is a rescue. They are set free in the fire. This is interesting. Their bonds fall off of them. Some crony of Nebuchadnezzar observes them walking around freely in the fire. That shouldn't be happening. And then there's a fourth person with them. They get another member of their team in the fire. I wonder who that could be. 
Nebuchadnezzar gets them out. They're not dead. He says, you know what? You're right. Your God is the one true king. And things are different, at least for a little while, for Nebuchadnezzar. So what do we do with this? What's your fire? What are you in? Is it one of those things you wrote down as a fear earlier? Is it something you didn't even want to write down? What is the fire that you're in? And are you counting that fire to actually be a place of freedom? Not because we're so great, but because our God sets us free. Because our God frees us from fear. Because our God used these three guys, who knew what they were about, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, to show his love and faithfulness to a pagan king and to bring change to an entire nation. The Roman church could do it, and our church could do it. Here's how we're going to do it. Three very quick practical steps before we go. How's this going to live and walk in your work week? When you go to work tomorrow, here's what I want you to be thinking about. It's great to go read the book of Daniel. Go read the book of Daniel. Especially read Daniel 3. Sit in it this week. Again, if you don't have something to sit with devotionally, go after that this week. When we go back to part one, love must be genuine, then it's truly good. Are you facing something that is costing you? Are you facing a relationship, a boss you don't like? If you are facing a challenging neighbor, a neighbor that's not going to talk to you until a tree falls on their porch, you're facing a new job at work and you have no idea what to do, you know what we can do? This is crazy, but I had a mentor encourage me to do this. God, I thank you for this challenge and I praise you in advance of the good work that you're going to do in my life. May that be our prayer this week, Bethany, as we step into whatever the challenge is with courage. If it's costly and difficult for you, you might be in the right place. You might be in the right place. Part two, to practice good love, start with surrender daily. Just start it. Start it off however you can do it, whenever you can do it. Again, I would recommend giving it your unique focus at the beginning of the day. Jesus, you're in charge. That's it. I surrender my day to you. That's it. When I go to work, I am not going to preen. I'm not going to pretend like I have it all together. I am not going to be angling for the next job. I am going to surrender my day to you because it is your day. It ain't my day. It's a gift. And I want to give it back to you. Start with surrender, church. And don't get discouraged. Don't feel like you're a bad person if you've got to surrender more later. Maybe a minute later. Maybe 30 minutes later. Keep up the surrender. Finally, part three, genuine good Genuine good love frees us from fear. This is that great passage. Perfect love casts out fear. What are you afraid of? Speak those words over that fear. Whatever you wrote down, perfect love casts out fear. That is the promise for the church. When Jesus was with his disciples and the storm arose, remember they're out on the boat and he calms the storm and then he comes walking across the water to them. There's this great moment where they can't tell who it is. And I want you to picture being in the boat, being in your place of work, being in your home, wherever you go to normally, and there's a storm, and things are messy, and you're not sure what's going on, and maybe there's some help coming for you across the water. And maybe it's a friend saying, hey, it looks like you need someone to come beside you. Would you receive that? Maybe it's looking for a new job. Maybe it's time. Maybe it's gotten too costly and difficult. Whatever the change is, hear these words. Build our week, build our life together as a church around these words, This is what Jesus said to his friends who were in distress to bring them through their fears. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. What's the first one, church? Take heart. What's the second one? It is I. What's the third one? Do not be afraid. Which one of those things do you want this week? They are all there for the taking with Christ. They are all there. They are for you. 
They are for me. They are for us. And they are for those kids who are having a blast over there, right? Would you join me as we pray? God, you got big dreams for us as a church to change our world, to make an impact in schools and in communities, to meet the needs of people who are hungry and hurting. We thank you, God, that already you've started to draw us into a grander vision for your mission and your goals for us and your hopes and dreams for us. Thank you, God, that you fuel us for the journey through this time in worship, through hearing and receiving your word. We pray that the seed scattered just now finds good soil and it grows some good fruit in each of our hearts, each of our lives. Thanks for the good fruit that you are bearing in those joyful kids. Thank you, God. Thank you for their teachers. Thank you for this morning and this day. Bless us now as we continue in worship. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.